who've seen that movie, that's Schindler's List from uh, 1993. It's an older movie. Uh, Seeing that scene, I'm sure, evokes uh, an emotion inside of you, you know, and even not knowing... uh, Specifically, if you're under the age of 25, you may have missed that movie, but uh, they, side note, they used to make good movies too. So, but anyway, in this movie, it's a story of one man's quest against the Nazi regime. And, um, you know, you see two wildly different views of power played out in these two individuals' lives. Uh, and, and, and you see what, what two different people think it means to be powerful. Specifically in that scene, the commandant had been just randomly shooting his rifle into the general area of the Jewish prisoners just to, just to bring fear into their lives. And he uses his power to terrorize and control. The Nazi regime was using their power to control and obliterate the Jews. But Schindler, on the other hand, saw his power as an opportunity to try and bring these atrocities to an end. And in this scene and throughout the movie, you see him using his power to stop the terrible things that are going on. Definitely two, two wildly different views of power. And I, I think that this scene and the movie in general could be summarized by a quote that says, the only cure for the love of power is the power of love. The only cure for the love of power is the power of love. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Mike Rutledge. I'm uh, the director of arts and one of the teachers here at K2. And we're in the final week of a, a series that we've called Money, Sex, and Power. Two weeks ago, uh, Derek talked about power and God's plan, or I'm sorry, money and God's plan uh, for how we use money in our lives. Last week, Dave talked with us about sex and God's design for sex. This week, obviously, we're going to be talking uh, about power. And, uh, you know, I, I want to say that uh, these topics, all three of them, uh, have the potential to uh, be, be, you know, be very evocative in our lives, right? You, you talk about these, these uh, three, big three, uh, and, and they have the, the kind of opportunity to sort of derail our thinking and take us to dark places. You, you, know, you may be here today, you may be the victim of someone's abuse of power in your life, you may, or you know, or you may even be someone who has in the past abused your power and uh, with with others. And for both of you, I want to just say that, you, that the the great thing is that God's grace is new, and today is a brand new day, and we have an opportunity to come before God and receive His grace and and be made new in that. So, but but even specifically today, talking about power, we have you know, there's a there's a potential for this whole topic to kind of. Uh, come unhinged, you know, when we look at our current leaders, you, you look at our political leaders and the way they wield power, and you look at uh, even, even religious leaders and, and people who have, in, in the name of God, done things that are not godly, right? And, or even, even uh, just as a, as a leader of people, you know, uh, you've seen people abuse the power, business leaders, they've, they've abused power. And so if you have been a victim of this, you, there's this great opportunity for, uh, for this to kind of take us off track. And here's my challenge to you today. Wherever you are, if this is true of you or if it's not true of you in a, in a significant way, here's, here's what I want you to do. 
I want you to try and focus in on this topic, not as an evaluation tool for the other people that you see as leaders in this world, in your life, in your sphere, but see this as an opportunity to understand what power means and how God intends you to use it in your life, okay? Can we commit to trying to do that today? So, what is power? Power is pretty simple, right? Power is just control or uh, authority or influence or command over someone in their actions. When you have power, you have the ability to influence other people's actions, right? And uh, the first thing you need to understand that you probably actually already do understand is that power is neutral. And what, what I mean by that, it, it's like, like money. Money is not inherently bad. It's not inherently good. It's just a thing. Power is the same. It's not, it's not bad if you have power. It's not, actually, it's not even bad if you desire power. Those are just neutral things. The mark of uh, your power and what makes it good or bad is determined by how you use the power you have. Right? Your power, the way you use your power is what determines its goodness or lack of. Uh, and <laughs> Honest Abe, he, he said this this way, if, if you want to determine a man's character, give him power. In other words, power isn't the way that you develop character. Power is the thing that exposes character. Why is that? Because the way you use your power expresses the desires of your heart and what you intend to do with it. And so I want to look today at two types of power, just two types of power, and talk about what they are and how they play out in our lives, okay? Okay? Wow, you guys are asleep. Need more coffee. So the first type of power is there are two types of power. Again, they're determined, the, the type of power, there's, there's no inherent quality of power. It's determined by how, how we behave, right? And so the first type of power is this. We're going to call this power over, or you may call it ungodly power, human power, demonic power, destructive power, whatever you want. Power over is the first type of power. And, you know, let's just be honest to all of us, to differing degrees, desire to have power in our life. There, you know, there's no one here who's like, yeah, I wish I was completely powerless in every situation, right? right? You don't want to be powerless. You want to have power. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. And, um, but why do we desire power? Well, we desire power because it gives us the ability to have voice into situations and control our outcomes. It gives us the opportunity to be the controllers of our own destiny, and it helps us manage relationships as opposed to just being the recipient of what everyone else decides. So having power is, is not a bad thing. And we've all experienced someone's misuse of power over us, right? Every single one in this room. And it could be simple things. You know, maybe, maybe someone... Uh, you know, when you were a kid, he bullied you, right? It could be, it starts early. We've all experienced this, and we all understand what this looks like in our lives. And some of us have actually perpetrated power over. But, but let, me, let me just talk a little bit. And first of all, let me just say this too. Um, power over, when I say that, I'm not just talking, we all have power over. I have power over my children, right? As a boss, you have power over people, Right? I'm not talking about position as power. I'm talking about the use of your power. And when I'm talking about power over, what I'm talking about is using the power that you have, either positionally or through relationship, to self-promote at the cost of someone else, 
That's what power over is. Self-promotion at the cost of someone else, disadvantaging them. And, you know, because as, as a parent, you've had to make decisions for your children, right? Sometimes you just do that because that's the best thing. And so I'm, but, but hopefully when I'm making those decisions, I'm helping my children. So but here's what I want to do. I want to look at a couple biblical examples of power over and see uh, how power over, the wrong kind of power, destructive power, can create all kinds of relational problems and can be very destructive in our lives. And so where do we start? Well, let's start at the very top, the disciples, okay? Now, I always love reading the stories of the disciples because every, you know, so often I'll read them and then, and then, you know, like Jesus will be talking to them and they'll go, there was a tractor and two grains of wheat. And, you know, he makes up these parables that he's, to demonstrate things and they're like, I don't get it, right? And I'm like, I don't either. Good thing he explains it in the next verse, right? But, but interestingly, when I read the disciples, it's exciting because I realize, okay, they didn't get it either, so I ha- there's hope for me still. Now, here's a really interesting story, and they're on their way to Capernaum. They're all walking. Jesus and the the disciples are walking. And um, just previous to this little, you know, voyage that they're taking, they had seen Jesus calm a storm. He'd fed the 5,000 with, you know, five loaves and two fish. He had uh, healed a boy who was demon-possessed, sent the swine, uh, the demons into the pigs. He'd raised... A, a daughter from the dead. Uh, he, he healed a demon-possessed boy. I mean, he, they had seen power at very high level. I mean, you see someone raise someone from the dead, guess what? You go, that's power, right? There's no question if someone's powerful. So they've seen this. Now pick up Matthew chapter 9. Let, let's, look, let's look at what happens. It says, after they had arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked the disciples, what were we discussing out in the road? But they didn't answer because they'd been arguing about which of them was the greatest. He sat down and called the 12 disciples over to him and he said, whoever wants to be the first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. See, now they had just been observing all of these miraculous things that Jesus had been doing, the raising people from the dead, multiplying food to feed people, all of this stuff they're seeing, and they're like, dude, now that's power, I want some of it, and I want to be like that. So they're arguing about which one of them is the most, you know, most powerful. And Jesus flips the script on them and says, that's not what power is. Power is not about you being bigger and better than everyone else, right? He says, the powerful one is the one who's the servant of all. And so great lesson learned. They go on their merry way, and now they are great people who understand power. Let's pick up Mark chapter 10, one chapter later. This is even better, because in this chapter, we have James and John, who are called the sons of thunder, and they pull the ultimate trump card. They go to Jesus, one chapter later, but the trump card is they bring their mom. <laughs> and they go to Jesus, and with their mom, the sons of thunder and mom, go to Jesus and they go, hey, Jesus, when we go to heaven, we want to have seats of authority. I'll be on one side, and he'll be on the other. And mom's like, yes, that's what we want. Okay? Clearly they missed something in the, in the, in, you know, in the lecture Jesus had given them in chapter 9. 
And here's what's happened. What's interesting is, and not just those two, but then it says the other ten disciples hear about this, and they're like, wait, what's going on? They become indignant, and the Greek translation for indignant is, you're not the boss of me. That's not true. It's not really Greek. But seriously, that's what happens. They are like, no, 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 you're not going to be the boss of me. I'm so, they're still wrestling with who's the greatest among them. Why is that such a big deal? Because the greatest is the most powerful, right? No, I'm better than you. I'm bigger than you. I'm more powerful than you. They're still arguing about this. And look what he says, Jesus' response in Mark chapter 10. He says, so Jesus called them together and he said, you know, the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. See, again, Jesus is saying, what you're arguing about is this human, ungodly power over stuff. And that's not, you don't flaunt it over people. You don't lord it over people. That's not the power I want you to have. And among you, it will be what? It will be different. I have a different plan for the way you utilize power. I want to look at another Old Testament example. It's really interesting. You've probably all heard of the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Well, Sodom and Gomorrah was a very, very wicked, morally bankrupt uh, those two cities, and uh, Abraham and Lot are relatives, and Lot is living in this corrupt city, and these two angels come to uh, Abraham, and they, they tell Abraham, hey, listen, we're, gonna, we're, we're sent to destroy the city because it's so morally bankrupt. It's so, such a bad place. And so Abraham, knowing that his relative and their family are living there, he dis- starts this uh, sort of backwards uh, auction negotiation with the angels. And he says, hey, what, what, if, what if I can find 50 righteous people there? Will you spare it for 50 people? And you say, all right. And then he goes, okay, yeah, 50, 50, 45, 45. Who give me 40, 40, 30, 20, 20, 10? And they go, you have a deal, 10 people. But the problem is, even when he negotiates it down to finding 10 righteous individuals, they can't. And so the angels go on their way, to exact the judgment on the city of wicked people. And when they get there, they walk into the city, they show up at Lot's house, that's Abraham's relative, they show up at Lot's house, and uh, then the people from the city come, and they start pounding the door, like, send us out the guys, we want to sexually abuse them. It's in the scripture, you just read it. But Lot, being a reasonable man, says, no, 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 let me send my two virgin daughters instead, thank God. God, he had some wisdom. I mean, what is he thinking? <laughs> but they blind the individuals, and that, that whole scene stops, okay? I mean, okay, there's about 100 different things we could talk about. But let's, here, here's, he blinds them, and the angels say, listen, the city's going down. Get your family out. And let me, let me read it to you as, as we find it in Genesis 19. It says, the two men said to Lot, do you have any of the family here, sons, daughters, anybody in the city? Get them out of here, and now we're going to destroy this place. And listen to this line. The outcries of the victims here to God are deafening. We've been sent to blast this place into oblivion. So they're sent to destroy the city because why? Because the outcries of the victims are so bad. There's so much power over happening where people are perpetrating bad acts on others, probably like what had happened when the angels went to Lot's house, that God can't listen to it anymore. 
right? And so he says, I'm going to destroy the place. And they do leave. And what is a victim? Well, a victim is someone who's had something perpetrated on them, right? But, and here's what's interesting. When you read Ezekiel, we find a little more specificity or maybe a second reason as to why this city was so wicked. See, because actually, you're not just a victim when something's done to you. Sometimes you can be a victim because nothing is done on your behalf. And it says this in Ezekiel. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogance, abundant food, and Carelessies, they had it all, but she did not help the poor and needy. In other words, not only did you victimize people, but when you had an opportunity to help those who needed it, you refused. And many of us have experienced that in our life too. We're in that moment, you've done something, and someone in authority or power over you refuses to even acknowledge it because they're trying to withhold from you. That word says you refuse to help the victims. The word literally means to give a, take the hand of, like, hey, let me help you up. And it said, no, they wouldn't do that. They would not help those Martin Luther King said, in the end, you will remember not the words of your enemies, but the silence of your friends. In the end, you will remember not the words of your enemies, but the silence of your friends. In other words, when the people who could help you don't help you, it's the loudest voice you hear. Proverbs says it this way, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you already have it with you. Don't plot harm against your neighbor who lives trustfully near you. It says, don't withhold, don't plot harm. Don't do and don't not do when it's in your power. And there are more examples. I'm not going to go into it. I was going to tell you a story of the Edomites, but for time I'm not going to. Power over, that's one kind of power, human power, destructive power. But let's look at another kind of power, and that's called power under, or godly power. First, uh, we need to understand where godly power comes from. Guess where it comes from. It's not really a trick question. Godly power comes from God, yeah. Comes from God. And, and here's, here's what's interesting. God's power is not like our power either. First of all, he's referred to as almighty. We even sang the songs. He has no equal and no rival. He is above and beyond. He's almighty, all-powerful, omniscient, or om, omnipotent is the word that describes omni, meaning all, potent power, all-powerful. He has the power to do anything, anything, all right? And not only does he have that power, but when it refers to his throne, it refers to it as a throne of grace, he rules, his power, his kingship, his leadership, his authority is in grace, which is a relationally transactional kind of power, right? What is grace? Grace is when someone gives you, as they were talking about in the Schindler's List clip, when someone gives you something you don't deserve. Grace. That's the kind of power that God has. It's described in Job like this. The Almighty is beyond our reach. 
and exalted in power. In his justice and great righteousness, he does not oppress. He does not use power over. He uses power under. He's exalted in power, and he doesn't oppress. Stories told of a young boy who was uh, going on vacation to visit his grandparents. Uh, He's going to fly there by plane. And when he got on the plane, he sat down next to uh, a man who was actually a seminary uh, professor. And he sees that the little boy was reading like a Sunday school paper, like a take-home Sunday school paper. And so the seminary professor thought he'd have a little bit of fun with the boy. And he says, uh, hey, um, hey, what? If you tell me one thing God can do, I'll give you this big shiny apple. And so the boy sits there for a second, then looks at the man and says, if you can tell me one thing God can't do, I'll give you a whole barrel of apples. See, our human concept of power is that it's finite and limited. God's power is unlimited. And we have the ability to tap into this and actually to share this. That's what power under is. And so what I want to do in understanding and differentiating God's power from human power is I want to give you seven signs or kind of tests that you can use to make sure uh, that you are actually using power under and not power over. And these are in your notes if you want to write these in. So the first is this, that godly power is used for the good of others. If you want to know if you're using power under or power over, if you're using it for yourself versus others is the first sign. And godly power is always used for others. When you see Jesus walking around and in, in, in throughout the, the Gospels, it's recorded, what did he do? Well, he healed blind, he healed deaf and lame, he raised people from the dead, released people from demon possession. See, he was about using his powers, magnificent, fully God, fully miraculous, and he still used his powers not for his own benefit, right? Actually, to his own detriment, dying on the cross, he used his powers to better those around him spiritually, of course, giving freedom and forgiveness and all those things, but actually even giving new life in a human sense to people, using his ability. You know, when you can't walk and you can walk, you have a new lease on life. And Jesus was about that. He wanted to bring healing and forgiveness to people. So spiritually speaking, and it's really interesting in Luke, it's... uh, there's a scene where he's, he's walking and he, he walks through the crowd of people and there's just tons of people and, and it says this, and all the people were trying to touch him for power was coming from him and healing them all. Wow. And this is, this is the scene where you see the woman, she knows that Jesus is powerful so she reaches out just to touch his robe and when she touches his robe, she's had this disease for years and years, probably decades, and she touches his robe and she's immediately healed. So again, he used his power for the benefit of others. And if you want to know if you're using power under someone, it should be for the benefit of them, not you. That's the first sign. The second sign is this. Godly power is humble. All right? Godly power is humble. And this is really important for us to understand. If you want to know, you know, if, if, if you're using godly power, then you should understand something very important, that godly power comes from where? God. And if you want to be humble, it's a whole lot easier to be humble if you realize that what you have has been a gift to you, not something you've developed on your own. Right? And here's a problem. 
When we start taking credit for the power we have in our lives, we start focusing on ourselves, and we're not humble anymore. And the power we have becomes about us, not about others. So the first thing you got to do if you want to have humble power is understand and acknowledge that everything you have. Acts 1.8 says, when, uh, uh, when the Holy Spirit will come upon you, when you receive Christ in your life, the Holy Spirit's going to enter your life, and you will receive what? Power. And then he says, and you're going to do these things. Right? Understand that the godly power that you have in your life is from God. Here's what's beautiful, too. We've been given the freedom to replicate that in the lives of those around us. We have the ability to humbly offer what we have been given to others. It's a beautiful gift. Third thing is this. Godly power is self-limiting. What does that mean? Godly power is self-limiting. All right. So I've always wondered, when Jesus is walking around through all the people why didn't he just heal everyone? You know what the answer is? Because I don't. I don't know why he didn't heal everyone, but I know that he didn't. And I do know this, that it was very interesting in his time that he was walking around and people were following him because he was so circus sideshow attractive. You know what I mean by that? Is, is he would do a miracle and people were like, woo! Do it again. Crazy. Cool. Woo. Look at it. He can, you know. Like they were treating him like this kind of magician because he could do all these amazing things. And at one point, um, the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders at that time, they came to him and gave him a direct challenge. And they said, hey, uh, Jesus, so why don't you do a miracle to prove who you are? He said, no, I'm not going to do that. You know why he didn't do that? Because his miraculous gift and his power was for the benefit of others, not in defense of his own character. And so often for us, we don't limit the power we have because we're self-protecting and we're worried about making sure that people view us a certain way and we try and control and get the outcome that we want. And Jesus said, I don't care what you think about me. I know who I am. And the power that I've been given by God is going to be used at the discretion of God my Father for his purpose, not my own. Godly power is self-limiting. The fourth thing is that godly power is joyful. We're told that you can complete this in Nehemiah 8 9. It says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. <laughs> the joy of the Lord is my strength. When we have joy, and joy and happiness are not the same thing, by the way. If, here, here's a great gauge for me. With, with, you know, when I'm working with my kids, so often, um, they'll, believe it or not, my kids, very rarely, but occasionally, they'll do something wrong. Um, they, they probably get it from their mom, I'm sure, but um, she's not here, so let's just keep that between us, okay? <laughs> that little last comment. <laughs> Um, but here is a real key. I, sometimes in, here's when I know that what I'm doing with my kids is power over and not power under. It's this sign of joy. And here's what happens. My kids are doing something, and it could be even something that's bad and needs to be corrected. That, that's fine. 
But my ultimate emotion in the moment is not about helping them become something or avoid something for their own benefit or do something that's gonna be positive. You know what my motivation is emotionally? I got stuff I'm doing and you're frustrating me and you're preventing me from doing it, so I'm gonna bring the hammer down. There's no joy in my life in that moment and at that moment I know I'm not using power under them I'm using power over them. And the same is true in all of our relationships. When joy is absent, and I don't mean you're just always going to be happy, smiley, loving every decision you have to make. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that when joy is absent from power, you're not using power under. So joy is the fourth. The fifth is this. Joy is vulnerable. Joy is vulnerable. And, you know, so often we think when we want to be powerful people, leaders, right, we have to be impenetrable. We've got this, you know, outer casing that's, you know, I'm, I'm perfect. I don't do anything wrong. Which is why I told you my wife was the problem with our kids. Um, but the truth is that vulnerability is God's way of leading. And, and uh, look, look at this verse in 2 Corinthians. It says this. But he said to me, my grace, or his throne of grace, is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. You say that last one again. When I'm weak... I have God's power. Because God's power is not perfected in our sufficiency, God's power is perfected in our insufficiency. Our power, human power, is perfected in our sufficiency. And I believe that God gives each of us weaknesses so that his power can move into those very places and be perfected in us. Because when you're not good at something, you're dependent on something else. And when I'm weak and I trust in God, his power can be perfected in me. He, I love this. You want to see a powerful guy who's, who's like leading power powerfully but vulnerably, he says, I will boast. He's not, even he's not even letting it out of the bag. He's boasting about it, right? Because he knows that God's power, it says, that Christ's power when I'm weak will rest on me. It's awesome. Well, I were reading the book as a staff. It's called Culture Code, and I was just reading this last week. Uh, there's a great story in there uh, about these scientists who developed this game. And the game uh, is called give, the Give Some Game. It's a real simple game. They pair up two strangers they've never met. And they pair these two strangers up and they give each of them four tokens. And each token is worth $1 if you keep it and $2 if you give it away. Simple game. And then they, the, the simple question is, how many tokens are you going to give away? Well, on average, when they did this game, 
they found that people gave away two and a half tokens. Generally, that was, that was the average of what people gave away. But they took it a step further. And then what they did is prior to playing the game, they manipulated the circumstances to demonstrate, one, invulnerability, and then play the game. And then they demonstrated vulnerability and then played the game. Well, here's what's awesome about vulnerability and invulnerability is that it's contagious. Because what they found is when they did a demonstration of invulnerability before playing the game, guess what happened to the number of tokens people gave away? Down. People became less vulnerable. And when people were, when they demonstrated vulnerability before the game, the token exchange went way up. Which is really awesome when you think of this in spiritual terms. When you have power with other people, influence and authority in their lives, and you can be vulnerable with them, if it's contagious, guess what happens with them? They become more vulnerable and they spread it to others. Let's stop pretending we're perfect. Let's be honest with each other about who we are and how God made us. And let's let his power get perfected in us. And the sixth thing, power is submissive, and we're just told that we submit our power to God. We see that Jesus demonstrated this in John chapter 5 when he, he, you know, he said, I, I, I give full submission to God and do nothing of my own accord. He only did what the Father wanted him to do, which if you know what the Father's calling you to do, using your power for yourself becomes really easy to determine, right? I can't do this. And then, but it says in Ephesians 5.21, to submit to one another. And why? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So submit to God and submit to others because you're submitting to God. And here's what's beautiful. When you submit to each other, it's not only beneficial to the other person, it's beneficial to you because you can receive back because it becomes an exchange rather than I'm over you. Don't tell me anything. I can learn from you too. Godly power is submissive. That's the sixth. And then the seventh is this. Godly power leads to freedom. Again, Jesus' power brought freedom to the lives of those that he touched. You know, the lame could walk, the blind could see, the deaf could hear, the mute could speak. He brought restoration to the broken, forgiveness to those who were, uh, you know, had checkered pasts and uh, he, he was about bringing free, freedom in, uh, in his power. He used his power to bring hope to the hopeless. Here's what's awesome, is that when we use power under with those around us, we have the potential to bring those same freedoms, spiritually speaking, and in life, in human life, we can bring freedom to those people who, you know, maybe they're struggling with addictions or they've got self-destructive behaviors or others' destructive behaviors or uh, when they need forgiveness, they need to understand. And all of this happens as we present one simple thing, God's plan for all of our lives. And when we share this and we put power under to empower people into better places, people are free. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to call the band. You guys can come out. We're going to do one more song as we close this morning. And I just have a question for you today. It's a pretty simple question. The question is this. What kind of power are you using? 
When you think through your relationships with those around you, your employees, your employer, your kids, your parents, your brothers and sisters, your friends, your spouse, what kind of power are you using in your relationships? Maybe another way of asking the same question is what kind of power do you want in your life? Do you want self-sufficient, limited power based on your own abilities? Or would you want to have the power of God working through you to establish change in every single person that you have influence with? Would you want to be changed by the power of God working inside of you? So as we sing this last song, I'm going to pray first and just maybe think about this. Think about those areas in your life where you have power and ask God to reveal to you those areas where maybe you're not using it the right way and thank Him for the victories where you are using it the right way. We pray with me? Well, Lord, we can trust in you and we seek your power because of the very nature of who you are, because you are unlimited and unequaled and unrivaled. And you're able to do any, anything, anything. It's anything you can do. And so we pray that you've given us power and the power you've given to us is for the benefit of those around us. Please, Jesus, help us use that appropriately for the benefit of those Show me your nature. Show me who you are. Fill me with your heart. As Hebrews says, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we can receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Lord, you are the creator of this universe, the creator of all, the creator of us. Reveal to us even in this time. What do you want us to know? What do you want us to hear from you? those who use the power you've given us for your kingdom good and we ask this in your name.